You can have a seat. Have a seat. They've been working hard this morning. That song is a tough song, and they were uh, going at it, going at it, and they practiced hard, and it was just incredible. God is enough. He always is. Amen? Amen. All right, I'm going to need you guys to liven up a little this morning because we've got a really cool, really cool piece of God's Word that we're going to look at today, but it requires a little bit of excitement. Because it is exciting. It is exciting. But good morning. Uh, as Jeremy said, my name's Chris, and um, very excited to get a chance to, to preach again today. And um, just looking forward to see what God is going to do this morning. Because uh, as he was uh, really showing me what to, to preach on, what kept coming out is like this thing of God changing hearts. God changing hearts. And you know, sometimes whenever you teach something, or I guess it could be anything, uh, there's some things you do that are just really hard to do, and there's some things that are kind of like bowling with bumpers, you know? You really can't mess it up too bad. And that's the way I look at this passage today. I mean, this passage is so packed with so many good things. God is doing so many cool things, and, and it... It's got all the pieces and parts of a great movie, and it's just hard to mess it up because it's such a good, good passage. But now I've set an expectation, so hopefully this doesn't flop on its face. But, um, but no, just happy that you're here today, so glad to see everyone. And if you do have a Bible or your phone, uh, Bible app, turn to 1 Kings chapter 18. That's where we're going to be hanging out today, but I want to start off with a verse that's probably kind of unfamiliar to most of us, New Testament uh, Christians. It's Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 16 and 17, and it says, be careful that you are not enticed to turn aside, serve, and bow and worship to other gods. Then the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut the sky, and there will be no rain. The land will not yield its produce, and you will perish quickly from the good land the Lord is giving you. That was God speaking to the nation of Israel. He said, guys, if you worship me, it's all good. But if you turn aside, if you serve and bow down to other gods to worship, there's going to be consequences. Because, you know, the Lord we serve, the Bible says He's a jealous God because He deserves to have all the worship from everyone. He desires to have the heart of all of His creation. He doesn't want to share the spotlight with other things. He wants us to, to serve Him alone with all of our hearts. You know, He is the... He is the triune God that, that was willing to rescue His people, the nation of Israel, out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt by the blood of a lamb. But he's also the same God that has rescued us from spiritual slavery through the blood of His Son, the Lamb of God. I mean, do you agree that He has the right to our hearts? 
One person? Two, maybe? Do you agree with that? He does. There's no one else that has done more for us than God has. And that's what he's saying here in Deuteronomy. Guys, I've done everything for you. Now serve me and me alone. But somewhere around 873 B.C., long time ago, uh, the northern and southern kingdoms of Israel, they forgot about Deuteronomy 11. A king came in, King Ahab, and he married a woman named Jezebel. And this Jezebel, she was a, a Baal-worshipping Sidonian that she even made Baal worship. If you've heard, I, I just found this out. I used to call it Baal, but if you really pronounce it right, it's supposed to be Baal. So I'll probably say Baal sometimes and Baal sometimes just out of habit. But either way, he married Jezebel. She worshiped this Baal, and she actually made that worship a state religion. So it was okay in Israel to worship Baal. She even tried to kill all of God's prophets. This lady was wicked. And the king of the northern part of the nation of Israel married this woman. But who was this Baal? Who was this, this old God? He was a God of rain, crops, livestock, and fertility. And they worshipped him through temple prostitution. And they believed that that would arouse Baal to, to cause it to rain and give them crops and give them more children. And it was all about fertility and, you know, it was this worshiping with your hormones and not your heart kind of thing. And they also sacrificed children in fire. In most cases, it was the firstborn male son, which I'm super thankful my parents did not worship Baal because I'm the firstborn male son. But they would take these children and then they would bury them in the cornerstone of their buildings and their new houses. And it's just sick, isn't it? And they would do this in worship to this false god. But you know what they did? They blended it together. They did this thing called, big word, syncretism. Okay, Where they, they blended together the worship of this Baal with the worship of Jehovah. And when they blended this together, do you think it made God happy? No. He's like, <clears throat> Deuteronomy 11, do you guys remember that? But they blended it together, and it made him super angry. But this is where we meet our hero of our story today. His name's Elijah. You may have heard of him, you probably have, but in 1 Kings chapter 17, we're introduced to this prophet Elijah. He says, now Elijah the Tishbite from the Gilead settlers, he was from Gilead, and he said to Ahab, so the first time we meet Elijah, he's talking to Ahab, this wicked king, and he says, as the Lord God of Israel lives, in whose presence I stand, there will be no dew or rain during these years except by my command. We don't know anything about Elijah. He just steps on the scene. He's got his prophetic nuclear bomb, and he just drops it on Ahab. He says, hey, you messed up. No more rain until I say so. That's this Elijah. This is the, the hero 
of our, of our story here today. And it turns out that where we'll pick up our, our scripture reading today is three years later after Elijah tells Ahab this, that, uh, that it hasn't rained for three years. Severe famine. Could you imagine without rain? We go a couple days and we're like, oh man, I got to water my flowers. Got to water my garden. Can you imagine years and years with no rain? Your crops don't grow. It's just dusty and nasty and dirty and everything. And animals are dying. Your cattle. You don't have water to drink. It's just a terrible thing. But after three years, God gives Elijah a message to go back to Ahab. He says, it's time to bring the rain back. It's time to bring it back. You know, God had been working quietly through those three years. But he's ready to unleash something. He's ready to come back and do something that all, is, all the people are going to see. He wants to change their hearts, though. Because imagine these last three years, they're worshiping this false god. They're kind of worshiping Jehovah. And just imagine the sadness that brings to God. And God is like, I'm going to come back. I'm going to see if their hearts will change. See if their hearts will change. So we're going to see today through the obedience of a prophet and the incredible power of God that he's going to change the heart of a nation. Change the heart of a nation. So if you would read with me in 1 Kings chapter 18, hope you have your coffee. We've got a, a good amount of verses to look at. But let's start in verse 17. It says, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is that you, the one ruining Israel? He replied, I have not ruined Israel, but you and your father's family have because you have abandoned the Lord's commands and followed the Baals. Now summon all Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel, along with the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab summoned all the Israelites and gathered the prophets at Mount Carmel. Then Elijah approached all the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal or Baal, follow him. But the people didn't answer him a word. They're speechless. Then Elijah said to the people, I'm the only remaining prophet of the Lord, but, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us. They are to choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. I'll prepare the other bull and place it on the wood, but not light the fire. Then you call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord. And the God who answers with fire, he is God. And all the people answered, that's fine. Seems a little anticlimactic there, but that's fine. They all agreed. So then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, since you are so numerous, choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first. Then call on the name of your God, but don't light the fire. So they took the bull that he gave to them, prepared it, called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they danced around the altar they had made. 
At noon, Elijah mocked them. He said, shout loudly, for he is a god. Maybe he's thinking, thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away. Maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears according to their custom until blood gushed over them. All afternoon they kept on raving until the offering of the evening sacrifice. But there was no sound. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near. So all the people approached him. And then he repaired the Lord's altar that, he had, that had been torn down. And Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel will be your name. And he built an altar with the stones in the name of the Lord. Then he made a trench around the altar, large enough to hold about four gallons. Next he arranged the wood, cut up the bull, placed it on the wood, and he said, Fill four water pots with water, pour it on the offering to be burned, and on the wood. Then he said a second time, and they did it a second time. Then he said a third time, and they did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar. He even filled the trench with water. And at the time for offering the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the Lord's fire fell and consumed the burnt offering, the wood, the stones, the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Well, we could stop right there, and I feel like we'd be good. But Mark would never let me preach again. So, so we need some application. Wow, what an incredible story. God is doing something here in the nation of Israel. God is doing incredible things. And the first thing he's doing, he's confronting their heart issues. He's confronting the heart issues. And we find Elijah here really in like the golden part of his ministry. He's so confident. He's so bold. He even goes up to the wicked king Ahab and confronts him. And then he comes back and he confronts him again, and we even pick up here in 1 Kings 18 where him and Ahab, they're arguing back and forth over whose fault it is that it's not raining. But obviously it's Ahab's fault. But not just Ahab, he says in his family, Ahab's father was as wicked as Ahab. Omri was his name. But as I look at this and I look at Elijah, I just really start to think the application for us here is really Elijah he was so right with God. He was so connected <clears throat> with God that he could speak confidently for him. He had such a trust, such a closeness with God that he could speak without fear. And maybe this verse pops in your head, 2 Timothy 1.7, right? God says, for God has not given us the spirit of fear, 
but one of power, love, and sound judgment. You know, do you have self-confidence issues today? I tell you what, I've struggled with that my whole life. Self-confidence. And there's probably more of us in here than would, we wouldn't realize that struggles with that self-confidence thing. We live in a world that's not very encouraging to us to be confident in ourselves. There's so many expectations and there's so many things that we feel like we've got to live up to that are just not realistic And we have to look a certain way, sound a certain way, do this, do that. But with God, just like Elijah, when we have God in our life, we can be confident. That self-consciousness can be pushed to the side because we know that God loves us. If the Creator loves us, who else needs to approve of us? But I know that's hard, right? That's hard to believe. And it's a simple thing. It's a simple thing for me to say, trust in God and you'll be confident. But I know it's a struggle. But Elijah shows us here that if we get right with God and we trust him, that we don't have to fear. We can be confident. And we can speak confident when God wants us to, just like Elijah. I mean, look at his confidence. He doesn't mind being the underdog. He doesn't mind that it's one versus 850 prophets. He doesn't mind because he's got God in his corner. He's confident because of that. And his confidence continues when he talks to the whole nation of Israel. And he looks out and he says, you got to decide today whom you're going to serve. So basically, he probably feels like one versus a nation. And not just that, 850 prophets of Baal. As they're up there on Mount Carmel, this mountain in, in northern Israel. And this mountain here is really, really Baal country. I mean, they're worshiping him up there. It's really a place where they thought that, that Baal ruled. That didn't matter to Elijah. He had confidence because of God. He had that confidence. And, and he comes out and he asks the people, he really asks them a question that forces them to make a decision. He doesn't want them to walk away from that that day without making a decision. And really, we shouldn't walk out of here today without making a decision. A decision. You know, Elijah knew that Two gods weren't better than one true God. And I tell you that again today. Nothing is better than the one true God. The one true God. And again, this is, this is super applicable to us. And you might say, well, I don't serve Baal. I mean, if we did, we'd have a lot less children here. But you don't serve Baal. But maybe we serve the world. You see, in our context, a lot of times we struggle with serving Jesus and serving the world and meshing that together sometimes. And that's, that's hard, too, and that's something that we struggle with. You know, sometimes we listen to the wisdom of this world. Sometimes we, we love its money. Sometimes we become friends with it. And sometimes we even love it. But I bring you God's word today. And what he says, 
about those things. In James chapter 4, he says, You adulterous people, don't you know that the friendship with the world is hostility, or in some versions, enmity, or it's like that's fighting words, okay, towards God. So whoever wants to be the friend of the world becomes the enemy of God. Don't be a friend of the world. 1 Corinthians 3.19 says, For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. Every time we trust in the world's wisdom, God looks at that as foolishness. He says, trust my wisdom. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Don't love the world. But you know what Jesus did in John 17? He says in verse 15, I'm not praying that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. You see, God wants us to be in this world, but he doesn't want us to be friends with it doesn't want us to trust in its wisdom, doesn't want us to love it, but he wants us to be in it. And he prayed that, hey, while you're in there, I'm praying that you will be protected. So God wants us to be in the world, but not to worship it. He wants us to worship Jesus and then go reach the world for him. Amen? And Jesus prayed for our protection so you can trust and go with confidence. You can go out into the world and you can live for Jesus and you can open your mouth boldly like Elijah did because Jesus prayed for you in your protection and he's there for you. And you can open your mouth and share the gospel. You can share the goodness of God. You can share how he's changed your life and watch God change hearts. He also was doing some combating or doing combat with a false god here. And you see, Elijah, he set the stage for everyone. We're not going to reread all of it because we just read through there. But as I said, they're on Mount Carmel. And and Elijah sets this stage that, uh, you know, we're going to give you uh, an offering. You're going to build your altar. You're going to cut it up. You're going to put it on there and wait. But they're up on this mountain, and like I said before, this was Baal territory, so this was kind of an away game for Jehovah. And I don't know how many of you played middle school basketball or middle school sports, but I remember when I played, first of all, the shorts they gave you didn't really fit. You were just hoping you didn't grow again between games. And then you get to the, get to the away game's locker room, and it's cold, and it was made in, like, 1845. Like, it was just so cold and terrible, and you're wearing short shorts, and you can't stay warm, and it's just terrible. But you still had to go out and and play. But for God, it doesn't matter where he's at. It doesn't matter if it's an away game. 
It doesn't matter to him. So the stage is set. They cut up the sacrifice. They build the altar. And then they start to do something that's really odd. Okay, The prophets of Baal. And this is kind of the rules of the old false gods. You know, the more energy you give, the more action you put into it, the more sacrifice you give, the more they're going to respond. And that was kind of the way they thought these, uh, these old gods worked. So we see these prophets, and they... They begin to cry out, Baal, answer us. And then they start dancing. Okay, they're running man and doing all kinds of things. And they're gyrating, dancing around for for hours and hours in the hot sun. And it comes around to noontime. And and they're hot, sweaty, no answer yet. They're still crying out. And don't you love Elijah? He begins to mock them. Because he knows it's futile that they're doing all this. It's not going to bring Baal's response. So he begins to mock him and says, Hey, maybe your God is away somewhere. But yell louder. Maybe he's sleeping. Maybe you got to wake him up. Or maybe he went on a trip. Maybe he's on a summer vacation. Who knows where? And he begins to mock them. You know, you see him over there in his lounge chair just waiting. Because they they're doing this all day. So they're dancing, gyrating, and they're like, this just isn't working. Get your knives. We're going to cut ourselves and bleed all over ourselves. That makes total sense, doesn't it? So I can just see Elijah laughing at them. So he gives them basically all day. They're dancing from morning to noon all the way to the evening sacrifice. And they just dance and gyrate and yell and cut themselves. And basically, at the end of the day, there was silence and a bunch of bloody, tired prophets. Baal didn't respond. So Elijah's like, okay, I've given you all day. That's enough. It's now Elijah's turn. So at that place, there was a broken down altar, an old Israelite altar that who knows how long it's been broken down and not used to do offerings to our God. But he takes that altar and he rebuilds it. And he grabs 12 stones. Because he's letting these people know who they are. He's letting this nation of Israel know where they come from. He said, you're the 12 tribes of Israel. Do you remember your God that brought you out of Egypt? Do you remember the God that brought you through the Red Sea? That fed you in the wilderness? That gave you water? Do you remember your history? And he begins to build this altar. Could have used probably Garrett to to help him out. But he did it himself. And he builds this altar this 12-stone altar, and on top he puts the wood. And he cuts up the bull, and he puts it on top. And then he, then he digs a trench around the whole altar. And then he tells them to go get water. Now, it's not a very like drought-conscious move of Elijah here, but he says, go get some water and pour it on the offering. 
Oh, and do it again. Do it again. Three times. They go and they get water and they dump it so much that the, the trench around is full of water. Imagine how annoying this was to the prophets of Baal. They're like, what is he doing? Why is he putting water on the offering? You know, like, this guy's crazy. But then Elijah did something incredible. Did he dance around? No. Did he cut himself? No. He walked up to the altar and he said two sentences. Two sentences. It says in verse 36, And at the time of the offering, the evening sacrifice, the prophet Elijah approached the altar and said, The Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are the God in Israel, and I am your servant, and that at your word I have done all these things. Sentence one. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so that this people will know that you, the Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And after those two sentences, not dancing, nothing, standing there, the Lord responded, and he sent down fire. Could you imagine, like, looking up and seeing the clouds move, get red, and then all of a sudden fire comes flying down out of the sky right at the altar and just obliterates it. It didn't just destroy the offering. It says here it destroyed the offering and the wood and the stones and the dust. Oh yeah, and the water. It says it licked up the water. All it left was a big hole in the ground. Could you imagine? Like, have you ever had a fire in your backyard and you're like, this seems really hot, but it doesn't burn the metal. It doesn't burn anything, the stones. No, this is God fire coming down. This is a different type of fire that consumes everything, consumes it all. And this is kind of weird, but I read a paper on thermodynamic analysis of the fire miracle on Mount Carmel by this guy named Charles Bacall. And he says in there, says, the analysis shows that the fire was unnaturally hot. Duh. Uh, the vast majority of the energy would have been used to destroy the stones used to make the altar. Now listen to this. And the amount of power would have been comparable to a modern power plant. I don't know how much that is, but that's a lot of power. And this is just a tiny, tiny minuscule sample of the power of our God, right? This isn't like, oh, God gave it all he had to, you know, to, to burn that up. No, this is just a little bit, a little bit. That is the God we serve. That is the God that the nation of Israel was supposed to serve. That is the God that wants to change our hearts, He's not only powerful, but he's loving and forgiving and merciful. Because he could have sent that fire down and burned up all the nation of Israel because they weren't following him. But no, 
our loving God gave them a chance, gave them an opportunity to have their hearts changed. So what did they do when they saw this fire come down and consume all of this? It says that they fell face down. They just saw that and they just fell face down on the dirt. And they proclaim something. They proclaim, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Can you say that today? The Lord, He is God. Let's say it again. The Lord, He is God. He is. He's the only God. And their hearts changed. I mean, anyone could fall down because they're afraid of the fire. But the words they spoke reflected what was in their hearts then. They knew then that Baal was a false god. That all that they've been doing had been a waste serving that God. Because Jehovah is the only God. He's not just a God that does a couple powerful things here and there, but He is the only God. The only God. So we need to make that same decision today. God's not going to bring down fire. I hope not. It'll burn my notes up. But He's not going to bring down fire but he wants you to make a decision today. Maybe you're struggling with that living part in the world, living part for Jesus, or maybe you're struggling just with the uh, decision of, should I give my whole life to Jesus? Maybe you've been struggling with that, but today is a great day to make that decision. It's a great day for that because the Lord, he is God. He is God. And that God wants your heart. He wants all of your heart today. So if that's something that you're struggling with today, I mean, we're going to pray, and I want you to just talk to the Lord today. And just get your heart right with the Lord. Push aside all those worldly things and just dedicate your life to the Lord. If you want someone to pray with, we'll have... Some of the house church pastors in the back, on the sides, just find one of them. They'll pray with you. But yeah, it's, it's a decision day. It's a day of decision. You know, and maybe you've been following the Lord. And that's awesome. That's awesome. Are you being like Elijah? Are you walking with confidence? Are you walking with boldness? To open your mouth when the Lord gives you words. What an incredible story. Not just a story. History. (laughs) Reality. This really happened. This really happened. So I just want to... I want to have the band come up again. I always forget to say, come on up. Think that they'll just magically appear. But while they're coming up, I want us to pray. And like I said, if you do want to pray with someone, Jeremy, he'll be be up in the back. And I don't know who else is here, but you'll find Kyle's back there also. Find them and pray with them. If not, bow your head to the Lord and pray to them today. Bow your heart to him. But let's pray. God, you're so good. Such a powerful God. 
You are the powerful God, the only God, with endless power, but not just endless power, but endless love, with an endless desire to see our hearts turn to you. In this story, even though it's cool to see Elijah speak these things and do these things, the true hero of this story is you. The one that changes hearts is you. So God, we give you all the glory today because you deserve it, because you're worthy of it. And we love you so much. We love you so much. And I pray if there's anybody here this morning that, that doesn't know you in a personal way, they haven't given their life to you yet, that, that God, they would do that. That they would know that you came to this earth, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, was buried and rose again three days later. And in doing that, you overcame sin, you overcame death, and you made it possible for all of us to have a personal relationship with you. And I pray if anyone is here that hasn't done that, they would. And God, for those that have been walking the fence, that have been blending their service to the world and service to the Lord, pray that you would help all of us to just focus on you, to push that world aside. Let it be an old thing of the past. And let us push forward following you. And I pray that you would use us all to, like you used Elijah, to change hearts, to speak your word so that you can do things in people's lives. So God, as we sing now, as we lift our voices, pray you be glorified. Pray you'd receive a, a sweet-smelling savor that's a sacrifice to you from our praise. We're just so thankful for you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.